As most people will agree, running a business is not quite as easy as it used to be. Most organizations are facing major challenges and changes. This is raising the bar for senior executives to find new ways to tackle an uncertain business environment, while also becoming stronger and more effective leaders. I'm Jane Singer, and thank you for joining me here on A Seat at the Table. Today we have Jeffrey Deckman, a serial entrepreneur who has bootstrapped two multi-million dollar companies, several nonprofits, and multiple political organizations here on the show with us. He's a recognized thought leader on conscious leadership and the author of the best-selling Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century, Insights for Leading Change, Improving Employee Engagement, and Achieving Extraordinary Results. In this episode, Jeffrey will be discussing what he refers to as the organizational trinity, that invisible force that drives all organizational performance, how to develop the conscious leadership mindset, the biggest mistakes that leaders make they don't even realize they're making, and the biggest differences between today's workers and workers in the past. Strong leadership is foundational to the success of any organization. However, finding the right people to fill key executive positions is not always easy. In fact, it's become increasingly difficult. That's why leading organizations turn to AsianNet consultants. AsianNet has a well-earned reputation for being able to recruit candidates for even some of the toughest search assignments. To find out more about them, check out their website at asianetconsultants.com. I'll also leave a link in the show notes for this episode. Meanwhile, Join me as we sit down with Jeffrey and learn how we can become more conscious leaders. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us here on A Seat at the Table. It's wonderful to have you with us today. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about leadership. It's such a critical topic. It really is, and it's a critical time in the history of leadership because we are faced with a period of time where the command and control industrial age mechanized model of viewing organizations and leading people is really antiquated. And the big question in everyone's mind is, where do we go from here? What is that new leadership methodology, the new mindsets and methods, and and how do we get there? And that's what I specialize in. I've been spending last 17 years looking into that and developing processes and procedures. And so it's a fascinating time to be alive and it's exciting time to be in leadership. I 100% agree. And I definitely think that we do need to revise some of our leadership models and methodologies. Now you talk about what you call organizational trinity, what you Mm. refer to as the invisible force that drives all organizational performance. Could you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. You know, about seven years ago, as I was doing research on new leadership methods, I remember something I had read in a book called Mobilizing Minds. It was written by a couple of McKinsey consultants. And I read it probably, oh, geez, 17, 18 years ago. And what they said was that 67% of all work in organizations is done outside of the org chart in informal networks. And when I heard that, I thought, whoa, I want to understand what's behind the org chart. Because the org chart is just a representation and and we've actually used it to be the, the primary way we design, therefore how we view, therefore how we engage our organizations, linear, mechanized, orderly, et cetera. And as I did my research, what I found is that there are actually three forces behind the org chart that are literally responsible for 100% of all performance, and therefore a lot of profits. And that is 
tribal dynamics, which is what's going on in those informal networks, knowledge networks, which is the collective genius of the people in your organization, and culture, which to me is the level of consciousness of the organization. Is it healthy? Is it sick? Is it barbaric? Is it collaborative? So the organizational trinity uh, is comprised of tribal dynamics, knowledge networks, and culture. So as a leader, we want to be focusing in those three areas. We want to be focusing our attention to make sure we pay attention to those three areas so that we can engage them as effectively as possible. And that will automatically increase your employee performance and profits. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And I don't think many people have actually broken it down in that way. And and like you said, really gone behind the org chart. Now, you mentioned that there's a, a big difference between today's workers and workers in the past. What do you see as the key differences? What's changed? Well, today we're the workforce is comprised of either four or five most independent-minded generations in the history of humanity, literally, from the boomers to whatever the new ones are, right? The, uh, the <laughs> 9-11 babies. Right. And none of them want to be told what to do without, and all of them want to be empowered and have a say in what happens. The boomers like me, we want that input, any Xers, because we've been around and we have something to offer. The newest generations, they want that input because they've had it their whole life and they can't imagine not having it. So what that's done is the fact that the entire workforce wants to be empowered, wants to have input, really goes up against the traditional command and control top-down leadership methodology. And that's what's really causing the rub. And, you know, so a lot of leaders are kind of doubling down on metrics and, you know, a little more authoritarianism to try to get the people to respond and the workforce is not responding. So we have quiet quitting. We have mass resignation or oh, I, I forget what the term for the for the resignation is where like so many people are just quitting. And we're really in this fascinating time where the leadership model and the consciousness of the workforce are at odds. So what we have to do as leaders is we have to get ahead of where that consciousness is, and we need to start engaging the workforce from where they're at. And at the same time, be able to hold them accountable Mm -hmm. and make sure that we get performance. So there is a middle road there, and that's the work that I focus on. I think that's a really good point because there has been a lot of conversation, like you say, around quiet quitting, around the fact that the balance of power has somewhat shifted right away from leadership and more towards workers. And yet at the same time, um, you know, we're almost seeing a lack of accountability. And that can't be in an organization if they're going to survive long term. How do you bring that through? at the same time, managing the different sensibilities of today's workforce? We are designed, human beings are tribal creatures. And the tribe is the most effective design for human collaborations that humans have ever created. It was uh, our ability to collaborate and form tribes that have allowed us to accomplish, you know, Everything And tribalism is still in our DNA. We can see it in how we root for our sports teams. Uh, and so what happens is what we need to do is we need to shift away from follow me as the leader to have the focus on working for the leader or working for the company 
to working for your tribe, working for your, your team. You can see this is really effective when you look at Navy SEAL teams or anything in the military. They all say they're not fighting for the motherland or the general or whatever. They're fighting for the, for the person next to them. So that's what we're designed to do that as humans. So if you can build teams where the culture, there's a culture of accountability and there's a culture of respect for one another, what will happen is as a leader, if you design a team around the team, you will create, you will activate very positive peer pressure where people will perform and that group will hold itself accountable. As a leader, I don't have to go in and, and strong arm anybody. I just have to focus on keeping that culture healthy. Uh, and as a result, the you will find tribal leaders come up in that organization through that group, whether or not they're actually assigned a title by the company or not. There are people that other people follow in the group. And you can generate positive peer pressure that will operate within the group to help hold it accountable. You still, as the leader, have to have, there has to be clear consequences. You have to enforce them and engage them when necessary, fair and equitably. But a culture without consequences is chaos. So, you know, we, this isn't about hugging everybody through, through life. It's not about snowflakes. It's not about wokeism or any of that very dangerous stuff. It's about developing a team where there's a mutual respect, a commitment to professionalism and people wanting to do the best that they can. And if you take that approach to leadership, activate the team and get it to be focused on itself, you will have a lot more success and work less. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I think that's really so interesting. And I can tell you, uh, having interviewed so many different people in leadership, nobody has ever brought this up before. And I think that this really is, you know, it's it's foundational. And I think that it's a very interesting way to look at it because I, as you're explaining it to me, I can really see the genius behind this and why this is exactly what we need to do today, given all the different variables that people are facing. And it's very complex nowadays to be able to run any kind of an organization, not only you know the outside pressures, the internal pressures, there's a lot happening. And, you know, it's things are happening so fast. The world's getting so complex so quickly that it's it's not only impossible, but it's unfair to expect any leader to be able to do it on their own. So we have to tap into what I call the bigger no of our teams. And the bigger no is I know what I know. They know what they know. And together we have a bigger no, K-N-O-W. So right. it's the collective genius and the collective energies of the team. So the leader of today is not the one that says, let's take that hill. The right. leader of today is the one that operates within the network to mobilize it and to activate that collective genius and more steer it. I designed computer networks for 20 years. The network manager in a computer network does not go in and tell all the computers what to do. Its role is to be a facilitator, a collaborator, and ensure communication takes place and to fix any bugs that come up. And we are in a networked world today. So everything in our culture is networked. And so the good news is just as it clicked with you, I tell people, the more you learn about what it is I'm talking about, the more you'll realize how much you already know about it. This isn't this isn't rocket science. You don't have to learn a new language for this. The good news is this is going back to our past 
Back to who we are. Organizations aren't machines. Organizations are organisms. They're living, breathing, thinking organisms made up of living, breathing, thinking organisms. So if we start to look at how how can we engage the, the organization more from a humanistic standpoint and activate that collective genius, employee engagement goes up because you know, you're, you're not only just telling them to play the game, you're inviting them to play the game. You're inviting them to contribute and to participate. And engagement goes up, performance goes up, performance goes up, profits go up. And your stress levels go down because the workload gets distributed. Uh, and there, there are absolutely some things to learn about it. But once you see these concepts, you'll see how real they are. We're going to take a quick break now, and then we'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I think that's really an excellent analogy to compare an organization to a computer network and like mm. you say, to point to things like distributed workload and so forth, because we don't really think of it that way. And oftentimes, if you were to say that to someone, they'd feel that you were almost dehumanizing things when in fact, you are actually, as you point out, really looking at the fundamental structure that connects all human beings. You know, on the contrary, if you look at the traditional way of looking at organisms, they look at them as machine or, or organizations. I'm sorry, they look at them as machines. You know, the org chart is a representation is is the Henry Ford assembly line. Right. If you look at the organization as machines, you look at the people as tools or gears. That's mm. dehumanizing. When you look at an organization as an organism, you see everything as a living, breathing, thinking, creative being. And and when you see people that way, they recognize that you do. And they see that you respect them. And when you respect someone, they have a tendency to respect you back. And when you have a relationship that has mutual respect, you have increased productivity because people are connected. And then I will I will follow your direction, not just your directions. If, if you're an authoritarian leader, I'm following your directions until you leave the room and then I'm going. If you're a conscious leader, if you're somebody I'm connected to and you're connected to me, and you leave the room, I'm still following the same direction. It's a very, very powerful leadership model and methodology. Yes, absolutely. I, and I can definitely see where you're going with that and why, in a sense, you need, to, you need to look at it from that point of view. Now, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing leaders today? I mean, leaders are facing a lot of challenges, but what do you see as sort of the big one? Two primary things are pre-existing outdated models that we've all been trained to, you know, we've all grown up in management and right. The traditional leadership models I've already talked about and egos. Mm. 
we need a, a new consciousness in leaders. You know, I wrote a book called Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century. And it went on to win two international and two national awards, which really shocked me. <laughs> I didn't know it was wow. on to something. Congratulations. Thank you. But, you know, it's really about elevating the, the level of consciousness as a leader. And I just lost my, my thread that I was pulling on that. So <laughs> I forgot Take where your, I was going. With. Take your time. Yeah. Um, so if you could, if you could rewind me back to that. I'll right. See if I, right. So uh, we were talking about what the biggest challenges are for leaders. Oh, yeah. And you said there were two, one of which right. was ego. Right. And the challenge with where ego comes into leadership is that uh, if you look around today, we have a lot of narcissism in leadership. We have a lot of authoritarian because the right. hierarchy that we use promotes that type of a, of a mindset. Right. But what we really need is we need leaders who act as elders, who act as tribal elders. Now, <clears throat> if you look at a corporate leader, what they're looking for are <clears throat> profits at the expense of anything. If you look at a tribal elder, they're looking for the survival of the tribe, no matter what. So a tribal went when and we all have this inner elder that's inside of us. You know, we have our thoughts and our 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 thinking and our opinions, etc. And a lot of time I spent years thinking I was my thoughts and my actions, but I realized a lot of that a lot of that was ego driven. But all of us have this very wise inner elder. Uh, it's who we are as as soul or as spirit. <clears throat> and it's it's that part of us that just when we're about to hit that email that we're flaming somebody, we're gonna hit send. It's that part that whispers and says, maybe not. Right. So what we want to do is we want to activate that inner elder because as leaders, if we're wise, if we're compassionate, if we can have empathy and also have the strengths and and the and the commitment and the discipline to consequences, we're then going to create an organization that people will respond to much better. And my goal, and I think our responsibility as leaders is to create the environment where when people go home, they still have some energy left in them. That they can go home and they can speak to their spouse without having a couple of drinks. They can play with their kids instead of telling them to get out of their way. And I think it's a travesty that people spend time at work and then have to go home and detox from work. As leaders, it's our responsibility to create a level of humanity in our work where, if anything, maybe it even uh, activates people and puts them in a better mood where they're contributing to something instead of having their life sucked out of them. And I feel very strongly about that, that we need a different type of leadership because we have a responsibility to the people that work for us and with us. Yeah, I think that's something that we've overlooked, that it just became so competitive that we almost lost sight of, like you say, the human side. And yet in other instances, people became almost too human and a little mm -hmm. bit less, I would say, probably took their eye off the ball in terms of accountability, perhaps. Well, when anytime there's anytime there's pressure against an existing system, there is a response where the pendulum will swing past the midpoint over to the other side. So they have to have the experience of what is too much as we're trying to adjust. So then we swing back a little bit and miss it again. And then we swing and eventually we settle on the side in the, in the center. 
And, you know, over my leadership career, I certainly started on one way, went to the other, and eventually I've gotten myself into a really stable space right now. And uh, what I do is very teachable. Every client that I go into, they're able to see what it is that I see, and they're able to uh, start to utilize these systems and processes pretty, pretty easily. And our organization responds quite quickly. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you're able to get that kind of change that quickly. Now, I know that you have written a book on the topic of conscious leadership mindset, and perhaps you can just give us an idea of, of what specifically you mean by conscious leadership mindset. How might well, we apply that? Yeah, well, the, you know, in my early on in my book, uh, and my book is a workbook. It's a workbook, okay. it's a reference book, you know, it's not a novel, right? Right. So the one of the first things I say is lead, the first step on the path to leadership is an inward one. As leaders, we really have to make a commitment to do the tough work of being self-aware, of looking at what it is that we're doing that's that's working and congratulate ourselves and look at the things that we're doing that's not working or have have the courage to have someone show that to us. I've got a whole section on blind spots in the book that talks about how dangerous they are and how you can actually, you can find them. And so, you know, conscious leadership is really about elevating your level of self-awareness and your level of consciousness. So you can start to see past the ego. And, you know, I, I tell people if, if, if I'm not able to or willing to manage myself and manage my egos, I certainly shouldn't be in a position where I'm responsible for managing other people because I'm going to be a bit of a train wreck and everybody is going to suffer the consequences of that. So as a leader, if I, when I realized I really wanted to be good at it, I realized I first had to do a lot of work on myself and be honest with myself and, uh, and call myself out on those things that I was doing with that was not productive or that was ego-based. But, but that's the essence of conscious leadership. And as I learn more about me, I learn more about how to deal with and engage other people. So it's it's a it's a double benefit. I think that's such an important and very thought-provoking point. And I think that so many people who are listening to this would find this to be really an, an important exercise for all of us to do. And I would encourage people to perhaps listen to parts of this again, because sometimes you need to hear it more than once to really be able to absorb it. But I find that it is very thought-provoking, and the concept of being able to think of your team more as a tribe is really very, very interesting. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And, I, and I'll tell you, I spent probably 20 years on a spiritual and consciousness journey, and early parts of it, it really felt, I, I had some negativity that came up, but it's the most healing thing that you can do for yourself, is to get to know yourself. And, you know, we look at our faults, so we're afraid to look inward. But I guarantee you, the more you look, the more inward you look, the more you'll find that you love. And the more you find that you love and the more you heal, the more healing you can bring into the world. And as leaders, that's really kind of what we're doing. It's uh, we're good leaders are healers. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Now, Jeffrey, you've shared so many interesting things. And I think that a lot of people would really want to be able to reach out to you or to connect with you. Where can people find you? Uh, it's very easy. You can, first of all, you can email me. I respond to okay. all emails. Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, at jeffreydeckman.com. My okay. website is jeffreydeckman.com. 
And in that website, there's a ton of content. I've, I have a whole section on podcasts where I speak real deeply about this stuff. So if you just want to go in and, and learn what it is on your own, you can do that. I have a YouTube channel that's accessible from there that I've got some short videos on. And, uh, and I Google well. I write for Forbes. So I have uh, several articles in Forbes.com. I'm a Forbes coach. And uh, yeah, you can find me. Just get the name right. And I'm, uh, I'm out there. Okay, well, I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes for this episode. And again, I'd like to thank you for joining us here on A Seat at the Table. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you and to speak to your audience. I hope they get something out of this and it works. This new methodology really works well. So I wish everyone a lot of luck with it. Well, thank you. So 